Make New Year's resolution. Let me see. Wow. That's sad. Just walking about. Let me tell you about my resolution. I decided that by January 31st, January does have 31. Yeah. Yeah. I can eat that extra day. <laughs> I can lose 10 pounds. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I gave myself the New Year's Eve 180 pounds. I'd like to get down to somewhere around 170, 172, right? Well, I want you to know I'm working on it very hard. I leave myself this morning. Wow. Is that what you I resolved to eliminate certain words out of my vocabulary. And I've been doing a great job until yesterday. I won't tell you, but I had two chucky daughters in a cotton picker yesterday. <laughs> I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ and his resolution. So you can turn with me to Luke chapter 9. This is a beautiful passage of scripture. Jesus is now in the last six months of his life. Okay? Six months, roughly, from Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus Christ will be dead. And it's been a good year for the Lord Jesus. If you read in previous chapters in Luke, Jesus had raised a widow's son from the dead and given him back to the widow. He had healed a demon-possessed man. A woman with bleeding issues came and touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He commissioned the twelve disciples to go out and preach the gospel with power. He fed 5,000 people plus with five loaves of bread and two fish. And the glorious, the most glorious thing, I think, anyway, from my perspective, is that he was transfigured on the mountain with John and James and Peter there, and he was shown in a vision or in transfiguration what he would look like when he was glorified. You can read it in the account in Luke chapter 9, it's the previous verse we study today. He was talking with Elijah and Moses, and I'm sure that I would have liked to have been privy to that conversation, you know, what they were talking about. I'm sure that, you know, Elijah, did, wouldn't it be neat to have been there and find out, you know, was Elijah and Moses, were they encouraging Jesus? And were they saying, hey, you're about ready to fill all the prophecies and, and uh, the law, and, and, and what, a, what a glorious thing. Then we read in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven. So 
where within six months, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This was his resolution. He set out for Jerusalem. Now, it says here that he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. There was prejudice here because Jesus was a Jew. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Now that's what I just said. Right? That would be me. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. After this successful year of healing people and raising from the dead and feeding the 5,000 and being glorified and, and all of that, Jesus Christ resolves to go to Jerusalem knowing the Father. He knows that he would be rejected by Samaritans, Jews, Pharisees, and Gentiles. That pretty much covers everybody. He knew that he would be betrayed by a close friend, Judas Iscariot. He knew that he would be disowned by another close friend, Peter. He knew that he would be abandoned by his disciples and left alone. He knew that he would be persecuted for the by the Jews, humiliated by the Romans, traded for a criminal named Bar Barabbas, judged by God, and that he would die like a criminal nailed to a tree. And yet, within six months of this happening, Jesus says he resolutely set out now, I can't keep a resolution for six days, let alone six months. Think about what Jesus did, okay? Think about what he went through. First of all, I just, I just want you to think about what I'm going to tell you. And if you want to write down the scriptures when I come to you, you're welcome to do that. We'll go over a few, a few scriptures together. Jesus was born to die, and he knew it. See, when we're born, or when we have a baby that's born, we, we think that they're born to live, right? That's, that's our thinking. But Jesus Christ was born to die. And he knew it. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says that he became poor so that we could be rich. Jesus Christ became poor so that you and I could become rich. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus gave up heaven's treasures so that we could have treasure in heaven. Amazing. He gave up heaven's treasure so that you and I could have treasure. In Hebrews chapter 12, this to you, it says this. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him. What joy was set before Jesus Christ? You. 
you, 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 me. We are his joy. We are his brethren. Because of his, his resolve to go to Jerusalem, because of his resolve to do the Father's will, he brought literally millions and millions into the kingdom of God. So, we see here that he, he suffered so that we could be comforted. He bore abuse so that we could be spiritually healed. And Peter says this. Let me read it to you. First Peter 2 says this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, he's going to, Peter's going to give us some examples of how he suffered. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself, Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree, so died for sins and lived for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's past tense, by the way. You have been healed. Now, Jesus Christ suffered abuse so that we could be spiritually healed. It says in Peter that we should follow after his example. You know, I can hardly go a day. I mean, I hate to kind of hate to admit this, but I can hardly go a day without getting angry at something. Something. I can't find a wrench. Of course, I'm the one that put it wherever it is now that I can't find. Right? I should be getting angry at me, but no, I'm angry at the wrench. Uh huh. Some of you shaking your heads. I'm trying to get that. Jesus Christ was forsaken so that he could be accepted. You know what he said in Hebrews? He says, never, this is a double negative now. Whenever you see a double negative in the Greek, it's, it emphasizes it. It says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Listen to me. Never will God leave you. Never. Never will God forsake you. When will God forsake you? Never. Never. When will he leave you? Never. So you're feeling really crummy. You've got the flu. You've been told you have cancer. Your daughter died. You can't meet the bills at the end of the month. Will he ever leave you? Will he ever forsake you? No, he won't. Is there any reason we can justify being depressed or being feeling like we're forsaken. It really is kind of a lack of faith, isn't it? When we feel that way. And I'm not getting down on anybody because I get depressed. But we shouldn't be getting depressed because he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. Jesus died so that we could live. It says in 1 John chapter 4, let me read it to you. Beautiful scripture. First John 4 says this. 
This is how God showed his love among us. John's good tells. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What's the first and greatest command? Love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And second, like that, love your neighbor as and love yourself as. So, let me give you, I'm going to give you a second chance. 12, verse 3. This is, this is what I want you to think about for your New Year's resolution. Okay? Here's what it says. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he's speaking to each one of us. He says, therefore, I urge you. Now, in the Greek, this has the connotation of begging. The Apostle Paul is close to begging us. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, he's speaking about Christians here, in view of God's mercy. What is God's mercy? God's mercy withholds from us what we deserve. Right? God's grace gives us what we don't deserve. So mercy withholds what we do deserve. And grace gives us what we don't deserve. It says here, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view, this is your spiritual act of worship. I love the way the King James puts it. It says, it says that this is your reasonable service. You know, Jesus Christ resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem, knowing what humiliated, he would be brought to trial, illegal trials, knowing that he would be forced to carry his cross, knowing that he would be nailed to it. That he would eventually die. The only thing that Jesus didn't know is he didn't know what it would be like to be on that cross and separated from his God, his Father, for those hours. He did not know what that was like because he'd never been separated from his Father. That's why he screamed for three hours My God, speaking to the Father. My God, speaking to the Holy Spirit. Why have you forsaken me? What a great salvation we have, my friends. We, Jesus Christ became poor so you could become rich. So I guess we shouldn't complain about not having enough at the end of the month to pay the bills because technically we're rich, right? In fact, I'm not sure that we should complain about it. What do you guys think? It says here, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, Holy and pleasing to God, this is your reasonable service, it's your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. Let me read some scriptures before we finish. 
finish it up, we'll have communion. Isaiah 43, 18 says this. I want you to take this as advice. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Philippians 3.13 says, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And Ephesians 2.10, I love this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. God has prepared good works in advance for each one of us to do. We need to resolve. We need to have the same resolve that Jesus did. You know, when I think about my resolution, New Year's resolution, to lose weight, I mean, in the whole scheme of things, that's really not very important. Okay? Now, it is for me because I'm having a little trouble with my trousers. <laughs> <laughs> We should resolve on something that's very important. And what's very important is that God has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. You know, some of you are givers. Give. Some of you are have the gift of compassion. Be compassionate. Some of you have the gift of mercy and grace. I mean, we've got gifts. There's a hundred different gifts for people here. You know what? All I'm asking. All God's asking is, use your gifts for him. Whatever talents he's given you, whatever whatever skills that he's given you, use them. Develop them for him. And you will, upon entering heaven, you will hear the Lord say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful. Did you know he's going to say the same thing to the janitor who took care of the church, and that was his ministry, as he's going to say to the apostle, he's going to say to Billy Graham, He's not prejudiced. He says, Well done, just do what I ask you to do. Well, let's take uh, our communion, okay? Our communion.